Welcome to the Mom Connection at Friends Church. We are so glad that you are here. We were so blessed this week to have Jenna Marie Masters speak a powerful message about casting out fear on the mountains we climb. Jenna has the incredible gift of being able to seamlessly weave her own personal stories with scripture and make the lessons she's learned so relatable to each of us. I mean, I've never cooked my pet goldfish, but I still got a ton out of Jenna sharing that experience. You can find more from Jenna on her blog, markedbylove.blog. Without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this session of The Mom Connection. Thank you, Thank you. so much. Thank you. I'm like, don't make me cry before I start. Hi. Good morning. Let me get situated. I haven't even stood up on the stage before. So I just want to say um, thank you for letting me be here. And also, there is someone in this room that God really wants this message to be told to because I was going to speak on friendship because I had that all done and that was the easy thing to do. I'm like, I got it. And when Odette was speaking at the last meeting, God put on my heart, I want you to speak to these women about fear. And I was like, oh, that's a big one. I have till February. Okay, I'll work on it. And then a week later, Don's like, oh, can you please come? And I was like, okay, I'm going to do the friendship one. And God kept putting on my heart. I told you to tell, talk to them about fear. And I was like, that is so much work, Jesus. So please confirm to me. And I'm obviously, I'm a lazy speaker. So I was like, please confirm to me, God, is it friendship or fear? Just confirm to me which message. And then Janice at my table the next day texts me and she says, hey, I was praying about you and God just put a word on my heart for you and the word is fearless. Right? I was like, how much more clear could the Lord be? I have to talk about this now. So I did put this together in a week. So this has to be God, and it has to be for someone in this room. I don't know if it's for one person. I don't know if it's for every person. I know it was for me because I had a court date yesterday for my foster daughter that I had a lot of fear over. So I know maybe it was just for me, but I hope that um, God speaks to whoever is here in a very intimate, real way. So I just want to pray real quick. Um, Father God, I just thank you for this time. God, I thank you that we can just come into your presence and ask you questions and get to know you. God, I just pray that whoever you want to speak to today, God, that you just meet them in a real place and you just speak to them in a way that they understand, God. And I pray, Lord, that you speak through me, less of me, more of you, God, and just calm my nerves right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in life, we are called to different mountains to climb. And I like to organize them in my mind. Oh, I have to learn. Oh, the mountains we face. Oh, it didn't pop up. Oh, it worked. Okay, so I'm learning. Sorry about that. And there's two different things that God calls us to climb. I like to call some mountains opportunity mountains and mandatory mountains. And I have the definitions up there for you. The mandatory mountains are trials that we must face unless God chooses to remove them from our path. This could be a disease. This could be a hard marriage, things like that. Also, opportunity mountains, I define that as a challenge. God has invited you to climb in his strength to further his kingdom and bless you. What's unique about Opportunity Mountains is we can say yes or we can say no. But the thing is, off in the distance, there's normally a third mountain, and I call it the ghost mountain. And this is where fear lives. And so many of us spend so much time camping out on that mountain and not climbing the mountains God has called us to, and we just sit in fear. 
There's three things that I found in the Bible that accompany fear when we feel it. The first one is forgetfulness. The second one is lack of faith. And the third one is loss of focus. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my family. I have three bio kids, like she had told you. They're really close in age, so I had them uh, 14 months apart and then 17 months apart. So I had three kids in diapers, two and a half and under. I did about 18 diapers a day. We called the dark hole of our marriage. We were not sleeping. It was just exhausting. And when our kids turned three, four, and five, I was like, okay, I can breathe a little bit now. Let's adopt from Africa. Because that seemed like the logical thing to do at the time. But we felt that God was calling us to it. So we started the paperwork. We did all the dossier, which is a lot of work and the home study. And in the midst of all of this, my daughter decides to buy me a fish because it was on sale. This is what she told me. So you learn, they learn at a young age that I guess if it's on sale, you're supposed to buy it. So <laughs> our kids are listening to us. So she buys me this fish, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I have to keep another thing in the house alive. We already had lizard, two lizards and two dogs and a rabbit. And I'm like, and I'm get, trying to do all this paperwork to adopt from Ghana. I'm just feeling overwhelmed. And also, I'm having an anxiety attack because I have a horrible, horrible history with fish. When I was in high school, I cooked my goldfish on accident. My mom had one of those sinks that gets really hot for washing dishes, and I didn't know she had just finished washing dishes. So I grabbed a mug because I was going to be responsible and clean the bowl for my precious fish. So I put it in a hot mug, put it on the counter, not realizing how hot it was. I scooped up this poor thing, dumped it in the hot water, and start cleaning this bowl. And I look over, and this poor fish is like rolling over slowly and white bubbling on its skin. I totally boiled him. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to kill this fish that my daughter gave me. There's too much. I cannot do this. So I really took good care of this fish because I wanted to honor the gift she had given me. So I cleaned his bowl every week. I always made sure the water was super cool and nice for him. And we had a really good relationship. His name was London. And what was amazing about him is every time I would scoop him up, he wouldn't even flop around. He would like lay there. He was like a gentleman. And I would put him into the bowl. He was, and he lived for three years. I think that I should get an applause for that. I kept a fish alive for three years. Thank you very much. And I only dropped him under the oven once. That's amazing. That's amazing. And if it ever happens to you, a butter knife will actually get it out without cutting it. So if that ever happens to you, just remember this. If you remember anything, just kidding. I'm kidding. Anyways, in the midst of all this, taking care of the fish, taking care of the animals, taking care of the kids, doing the paperwork, we got a call from our adoption agency. Hey, we have five kids that are ready to be dispensed. We were on the wait list for two years long time. We were third on the wait list. And they're like, any day now, you're going to get a picture of the kid we've matched with you. So we went out with the kids. We actually bought Ghanaian art for our home. We learned how to cook some Ghanaian food. A week after this, we get an email, not even a phone call, an email saying, we're so sorry. The, Ga- the international adoption program in Ghana has shut down. They have shut down all adoptions. Sorry. That was it. And I I was just in shock. I couldn't believe it. And I remember having a major anxiety attack that night. I had so much fear. For me, it was, God, are you good? Are you good? You led us to this. You called us to this. And I feel like you just dropped me on the floor. And the next day, still faithful to everything he had called me to do, I was cleaning out this fishbowl. And this fish 
was freaking out when I lifted him up. And I had never seen him do that before. He was always super calm. And I actually said out loud to this fish, like, what is wrong with you? Don't you trust me? So God used that in that moment. It was like all of a sudden God pressed on my heart. What's wrong with you? Don't you trust me? Don't you remember all the other times I've picked you up out of an awful, icky, dirty water situation and carried you safely somewhere else? That I had forgotten. I had forgotten that God is good, and I had forgotten that God is enough. The Israelites also forgot that God was good. And I'm not going to read that whole scripture because it is really long. And I can't even see it in my things. Hold on a second here. Um, if you guys remember when Caleb um, goes out, Moses sends out some spies um, to the promised land. He had just brought them out of Egypt and out of, uh, out of slavery. And he says, I'm going to give you this land. Go and get it. And some of the spies come back and say, yeah, that looks like awesome land. And the rest of the spies, this is what they actually say about God, who just brought them out of slavery. The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites and destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there who were giants. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw... I love this part. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries a son all the way until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God. It was just like me. It was the exact same story. He had carried me faithfully through so many trials, and I had forgotten. I forgot that he was with me and that he was faithful. It really began to mess with my faith. Um, and your, my faith kind of tore a little bit. And um, it was interesting because I think for me that started a really good journey of intimacy with Christ. Because I did, we're going to have fear. We're going to have fear. We're human, okay? We're all going to have fear. But it's how, what we do with that fear and how we approach it and how we choose to drive it out. So when we forget God is good and we forget he is enough, one of the ways that, that, can, that we can fight against that to drive it out is to desire intimacy over information. Intimacy over information. I had so many questions when Ghana shut down. Where did the money go? What happened to those kids? Why did he call us to something and then shut the door? Right? Has anybody ever had this experience? Why? Why did you put that call on my life? I had so many questions, and God was trying to tell me, look, I'm enough for you. Our spirits long for intimacy with Christ. Romans says, the spirit, in you received, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, that is the most intimate term for a father in this culture. It means Papa. So God has given us a spirit that actually is longing to cry out, Papa, to him. I think it's interesting, and I, I, this was a new, is, oh, is that where, oh, I'm sorry. There we go. Eve in the garden, I think this is interesting, and God showed me this week. Eve traded intimacy for information. If you read this verse here, um, this is the serpent talking. For God knows that when you eat from 
From it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also what? What does it say? Desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. Eve was walking in the garden with God. That's what the Garden of Eden was. But when Satan, a snake, comes up to her and says, hey, you want to know some more information, though? She traded it. That's crazy. How often do we trade our intimacy with Christ because he's not telling us what we want to know, right? Tell me the plan. Tell me why you did this. Tell me what the Indian's going to be, God. If not, I'm walking away because it's too scary for me to stay. This is what she did, and it's what we do all the time, and it's what I find myself doing all the time. The thing is, she did get more knowledge, but it was a great cost to her. She lost, she severed, severed the intimacy with Christ that she had. Um, after Ghana, we were actually called to then pursue domestic adoption. And I was just, no, God, I'm not doing this again. I'm not going down this road again. I was too afraid. And he kept pressing, kept pressing. And we didn't even apply to um, adopt domestically. It was actually people coming to us. Hey, I know somebody who wants to not abort her baby but wants to adopt. Would you like to adopt this baby? I mean, that seems like it's God, right? Just like, here's your baby. Here's, you know. Okay, so we agreed to do this, okay? Again, the first time, God shut the door. Okay, fine. Second time, we have another family come to us. Get ready. And this was around Christmas time. It's a Christmas miracle. God shut the door. The third time um, was a woman we met through a prayer group, and she was pregnant, had some mental problems. And I'll tell you what, I um, had so many questions again for God. Okay, God, this is the fourth attempt. You need to tell me how this is going to end or I'm out. Like, you got to tell me. And I had so, many, so much fear and, like I said, so many questions, and I wanted answers from him. And in the midst of all these questions I had of God, he just stopped me in my tracks, and he had a question for me. And the question he had is, is it more important, Jenna, that I reveal my purposes to you or that I reveal my presence to you? Do you want answers from me or do you want Abba, the Father? Just take a minute and think how many times you go to God and you just want answers and not him. So if we want to drive out fear, we need to choose intimacy with Christ over the information that we want so bad from him. I know it's so hard. It is so hard. But God gave me this verse also in the midst of this when we decided to say yes to this fourth adoption attempt. It says, so do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am with you. That's what stuck out to me. He is with me. Okay, I'm going to choose to walk in the garden with God. I'm going to choose to be with him than to, to sit and just worry about all these questions I have. So we said yes. And um, let me go on to this one here. Um, I said yes to this, and we started this process down the road. Um, I found out she was pregnant at about six weeks. We went to all the doctor's appointments with her. Um, went through. Um, we were there for her also spiritually because she had some mental and emotional problems. Um, so yeah, God reminded me that intimacy was more important. But the second way that we cannot forget, helps us not to forget that God is good and God is enough, is we remember God 
in a tangible way. And I'm just going to go through this really quick. Um, the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt and were going into the promised land, God had them stack stones so that they could remember. It was a visual sign for them to remember he had helped them. Um, you think of communion. That's something that God has us do to remember what he did for us. I and mean, this is just basic common sense. I also think it's interesting, and I won't go into this too much, but circumcision for a man, why did he choose that? It's something that guys spend a lot of time seeing every day. It's a daily reminder to them of God's promises. I mean, realistically, right? That's what it is. So it's important to help us remember to do something tangible. For me, that verse he gave me that he was with me, up on my fridge. And you know what's cool? My kids will ask me, because during the weeks I'll put different verses up on my fridge that God gave me to sustain me and help me not be afraid. And my kids will ask, oh, what's that verse up there for? And I tell them, you know what? Last week I was really afraid about a court date, and God gave me this verse, and I'm putting it up there because he's reminding me he's with me. So you're also a witness to your children when you do things that are um, tangible ways to remember him. It's a sign and an example for your kids, which I think is kind of cool. Okay, that was the Israelites one. The third way to help us not to forget that God is good and that God is enough is to ask the Holy Spirit for help. Now this is super, um, again, super easy. We just, oops, there we go. We just got to ask. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Because it says in John, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I had said to you. He says, ask him, and he's going to remind you how God is good. Also in Romans, it says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know that we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with wordless groans. I love that. All right. The next thing that really comes when we start to have fear, we talked about how when we forget, we start to get fearful. Well, also what adds to our fear is lack of faith. And this is a big one, and this is a hard one. And we see all of the heroic um, people in the Bible struggle with lack of faith. It says here, if you look at Mark 440, he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? fear and no faith together. He said to them again in Matthew, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Little faith, lots of fear. He got up and rebuked the winds and the sea became perfectly calm. Well, how do we get more faith? If we don't have faith, lack of faith, and that causes us to fear, how do we get more faith? Well, it's super easy, you guys. God's word. God's word. In Romans, it tells us, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Let's try to find myself here. Here's the thing. When climbers start to climb different mountains, it's interesting. They did a study, and they asked climbers who do like Mount Everest, what is the number one thing you think of when you're climbing? And the three top answers were oxygen, oxygen, oxygen. That's what they're thinking because their bodies are not designed to climb at heights like that. We're not designed that way. So it takes some training. Well, it's the same with our spiritual life. We are not designed to climb these mountains that God has called us to without the word of God. We will suffocate without the word of God, I am telling you. Listen to this. Because the word of God is our oxygen tank. Just like climbers put it on their back to fill them up and give them strength, God has given that through his word. Timothy tells us all scripture is, is, is God-breathed. It's breath. 
You have to have it in you or you are going to suffocate on these mountains. Another way that we can get more faith on top of God's word is to simply ask for it. Um, I love these. It says, um, the apostles, oh, let me help you with that. There you go. The apostles ask. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The next one says in Mark, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. We just need to ask God for more faith. The next one is hope. Sorry about that. I'm learning. Hope. Another way we can get more faith to help drive out our fear is to have hope. And this is my favorite, favorite one, to have hope. This says in Colossians, the faith and love that spring from hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard is the true message of the gospel. So faith springs up from hope. So the question there is, how do we get hope, right? How do we get hope? Well, you probably will not like the answer to this question, but you get hope through suffering, death, and resurrection. And I will explain that because I know it sounds a little dark, but I just want to uh, go through this for you. When I talk about um, suffering, I want to tell you guys something that happened. Sorry about that. Um, after we agreed to adopt this little baby, and we said yes, um, she at six months changed her mind and decided she wanted to keep the baby. And I, um, that was very hard. And when I talk about death, I want to talk about we're actually dying to our will when I talk about that. So when she changed her mind, I again had a lot of questions. I was forgetting God was good. I was forgetting that he was enough for me. And I was really pretty angry at God. And I, I prayed out loud to God, look, how hard is it to adopt a baby? This is biblical. You tell us to take care of the orphans. We are doing everything we can. Why are you making this so hard? We just want to love an orphan. And you know, God, it was really clear on my heart. I have given you an orphan to love. This little baby's mom was an orphan. She grew up in foster care her whole life and was never adopted. And my heart was, yeah, but I didn't ask for a 27-year-old mentally ill orphan. Like, this is, not, this is not what I was imagining my life to be. And God was just like, you've got to die to that. You've got to die to your will of what you think adoption looks like and what you think loving an orphan looks like. You've got to die to that. And um, that was a very painful death for me. It was like I was being brought up in that net again, and I was like that fish, and I was just flopping around like, this is uncomfortable. I don't like the way this feels. This is burning, and this is hurting, and this is tearing my faith again. And me and my husband prayed about it, and we were like, you know what? God is asking us to stay with this woman through her pregnancy and love her because she's an orphan. So we did. We stayed with her. We went to all our doctor's appointments. We were there when he was born. We prayed over his life. Um, <laughs> I want to tell you this, though. The death of our will for our lives leads to the resurrection of his. I finally had to die to what I thought it was going to be. And, and the fear that what you think is going to happen 
and it doesn't happen, we have, we have so much fear in that. Well, what if what I want to happen doesn't happen? And we hold on to that fear. You've got to die to that. If you want God's will in your life, you've got to die to that. Um, again, I want to tell you this. After two months, she had had the baby. She took the baby home. She called us, and she said, I want to place my baby with you. This is too hard. Will you please adopt my baby? And we said, oh, my goodness, God. I, had again, had so many fears, so many questions. How am I going to push through this? And God had to remind me, I'm, you're, okay, God, you're good. You're good, and you're enough. I'm just going to trust you. So we drove out that fear, and we said yes. Um, this is little boy. I'm not going to, yeah, he's precious. I won't tell you his name. Maybe I already did on accident. But <laughs> um, we took him home. We signed adoption papers, took him home. Those are my kids with him. He's just so cute. And it was really precious and beautiful and special. And it felt like, oh, gosh, God, okay, you, we, I died to my will, and you're resurrecting your will so beautifully in my life. And two days later, Mom changed her mind. She had three days um, a waiting period. She changed her mind, and she took baby home. So we had to, I had to drive baby by myself to a parking lot and have the social worker take him out of my car because I could not do it. I had to pull over on the freeway three times. I was crying so hard I couldn't drive. I had to pull over. I mean, I made it there and I got it, but I will not go back to that Starbucks parking lot. It was an orange, and so I'm glad it was not in my face all the time. But again, it felt like another, um, it felt like a, a true death to me. And again, it was tearing and ripping at my faith, and it's tearing and giving me more fear that, gosh, God, are you who you say you are? Why are you letting me suffer like this? Why are you calling me to die to my will over and over and over again? But you know what's interesting? Um, God really put this on my heart. I had a choice in that moment. I could either harden my heart toward God or I could hand my heart over to God. And that's a really intentional choice because when we have fear and we think, you know what, I'm too afraid of this. I'm afraid you're not even good. I'm afraid you don't know what you're doing and we run from God, the rest of your life you're going to live in fear and with tattered faith, and you are going to miss out on so much. But it's hard to hand our hearts over to God because that's a brave move. That's the brave thing to do. It's a brave thing to go to God and say, I'm hurting, I'm afraid, I don't understand you, and to trust that he's going to mend that and make it stronger. You know, when you're building muscles, those that probably heard this, weightlifters, when they're building, their muscles actually do tear. And then you wait a while, and they grow back stronger. And they do it again, and they tear more. And then they grow back stronger. This is what God was doing to us. This is what God was doing to us. And this is what he does in our faith. You're going through something hard. You feel that God is asking you to die to something in your life. Don't worry. Don't worry. I know it's hard not to. Because we are in good company. Even Jesus had to die to his will. Jesus. And I love, oh, this is Jesus talking. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I felt, I felt like this was me. Stay here and keep watch over me. Going a little farther, he fell to his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What was Jesus' will here? He's asking God to take this away from him. So he had, a, he had a different will. This is an interesting verse. 
But what does he say? His will above that, though, was, I want your will over my will, Lord. So we are in good company. And when God said no to that, well, for, I do want to take note. It's okay to ask God to remove something from your life. Jesus did. It is okay to say, God, I don't want to go through this. Can you please remove this? And sometimes he does. But if he doesn't, we're called to respond like Jesus and accept his will. And the way that we can accept his will is because there's good news. We worship a God of resurrection. And Jesus knew this in his mind. Abraham knew this when he went to go sacrifice his son. We worship a God of resurrection. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So hope comes from the resurrection. And how do we know this? Well, this is what makes our faith different than any other faith in the whole world. You take Buddha, you kill him, you cut him down, you put him in a grave. Take Confucius, cut him down, kill him, put him in a grave. Take Muhammad, kill him, cut him down, put him in the grave. You take Jesus Christ, you torture him, you rip out his beard, you nail him to a cross, you put him up to die, put him in a grave. Which grave is empty? There's one. Makes me cry. There's one grave that's empty. This is what makes the Christian faith unique. This is what makes us able to be fearless because our God's alive. Our God's not in a grave that you can go visit. He's not there. He's with us and he is in us and he can drive out the fear because he's a God of resurrection. You're going to die to something in your life. Don't worry. Resurrection's coming, you guys. Jesus came back glorified, better than he was on earth. Do, you understand, do we understand this in our own lives? I think sometimes we forget the power of that. So anyways, I just had to go through that. <laughs> All right. And that's for Jesus. Um, and the... Jesus knew this first, and I do love this. Um, we know that, all thing, know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God called us to foster care after this. And what's interesting is we said we would never do foster care for five years. We will never be foster parents. That is too hard. We are too afraid. There's just absolutely no way. Um, look. You guys have probably seen her at our table. This is our foster daughter, and we've had her for, oh my gosh, almost three and a half months about now. And I'll tell you what, I cannot look at this girl's face without rejoicing that God had called me to die to my will about what I thought adoption should be. Because if I hadn't gone through all of those deaths and driven through past all those fears, I could not be the mom that this little girl needs. I would not be strong enough and I was not strong enough five years ago. I had way too much fear, but I have been able to look back and God has shown me I am good. I am good and I am enough. And you don't forget that. And he has taught me how to draw, in, to draw close to him, to have intimacy so he can remind me of that. <sighs> Isn't she beautiful though? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Um, she's just beautiful. Um, another way, um, let's see here. Oh, yeah, I do like this. I'm going to read this. When we lose hope, it's an indication that we've lost sight of the cross and the empty grave. So if you're feeling hopeless, you guys got you to rewind. You got to go back and think, you know what? Jesus had to die to his will. He was afraid in that time so much so that he was sweating blood and with anxiety when he was praying. We are not in bad company. It's okay to feel that way. But you have to remember what's coming 
okay? Another way, um, another thing that fear is always accompanied by is our loss of focus on Jesus, loss of focus. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I think most of us are probably familiar with the story of Peter who wants to go out on the water because Jesus is walking on the water, and Jesus says, come, and he starts walking. And I like the way the message says it. It says, he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet. He lost his nerve, and he started to sink. So he took his eyes off of Jesus, and he looks down and starts focusing on all of these things churning. Yesterday, I had this moment. We had a court date yesterday, and things... I didn't get the answers that I wanted to get. It wasn't bad, but I just didn't get the answers I wanted to get. And I was online on my little foster face, Facebook group, you know, riding on there. Has anyone else had this judge? Does anyone else know what this decision means? Has any, I was just looking at all the things turning. I wanted answers. I wanted answers. I wanted answers. So funny that I'm doing this lesson because God was like, you got to stop. You got to stop looking around. You're, there is nothing in these waves that are, that's going to give you peace. There's no answer I can give you right now that's going to calm your spirit, only my presence. So I did, I had to just, I had to get off Facebook. I had to stop texting different foster moms and just, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to look at your face right now. So what are you focusing on in your life? Is there something perhaps that's going on and you're focusing way too much on everything outside that's going on and not just looking at Jesus' face? Um. Second, or no, I'm sorry, how do we focus on God? The number one way to keep our focus on God, I believe, is to silence the enemy. And Caleb does this, where we talked a little bit about the Israelites, and they come back, and all these people who are grumbling, God hates us, and they're saying this to Moses. And I love this verse. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. He's just like, uh uh-uh, uh, shut up. We are not listening to the lies. I'm going to tell you, we should go up and take possession of this land, for we can certainly do it. He just shuts them up. And it's interesting when we think about silencing our enemy. We have to know who our enemy is. So I'm just going to tell you. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I'm going to read this verse to you now. Oh, did that not happen? There we go. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What I really like about this is when you look at the Greek, the word take captive, it means to physically, to take, to take something and lead it out of your presence. It's not just to shut it up and put it down on the table. No, no, you take it and you walk it out of your presence. And so when I think about this, imagine. Imagine you're at church and maybe you attend here and Pastor Matthew is giving an amazing message, speaking truth, speaking truth. And someone from the side walks in with his own microphone and just starts talking, saying things like, God is dead up. You know what? Your marriage is probably going to fail. You know what? God isn't good enough for that. You know, you probably should be worried about all your finances. Just blasphemy coming out of his mouth. Can you imagine a church sitting there and just allowing him to speak on a Sunday morning? Wouldn't we think it's perfectly acceptable for some elders to come up maybe, or maybe some big guys to grab that person and just escort them off the stage to get them out? Wouldn't that be an acceptable thing to do? 
How crazy would it be for a church to sit and just sit and listen to lies? Paul was actually writing to a church, warning them about false teachers coming into the church. So he really was talking about people doing this, saying, "Uh uh-uh, you got to get them out. Well, what's interesting when you think about that, when you personalize it, it says in Corinthians, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So when we are listening to the lies of the enemy trying to make us be afraid, it's like we are just letting him on the pulpit of our heart just teach into us, just preach into us, and we're sitting there like it's completely okay, like it's acceptable. That's crazy. We're crazy when we do that. We are to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It is okay to take, that, take those lies Take them off the pulpit of your heart. Escort them out of your mind and let Jesus preach to you. Don't allow an enemy into your mind. They don't belong there because your, your body is the temple of God. You belong to Jesus. I hope you belong to Jesus. If you don't belong to Jesus, come talk to me after because you belong to him and their enemy is not allowed in there. So you just take him captive. Uh-uh, that is a lie. I am taking you out. So think of this picture if you don't mind when you start to have lies or fears come in, imagine someone up at a church and a whole congregation just sitting there listening to blasphemy and nobody taking them off the stage. It's insane. We, we, we're so funny sometimes. We all do it. The next one is, oh yeah, I like that too. Who are you listening to, the father of lies or are you listening to the father of lights? Take note, be aware of what you're listening to because a lot of times it sneaks in and you don't even realize Sometimes you fell asleep in the service and you didn't realize that someone passed the mic, you know, to someone else and you're not paying attention that maybe there's some light sneaking in. So be, be aware of your thoughts. Another way to focus on God so that we don't let fear creep in is to pray and to seek his face. And I think it's cool because in the Old Testament, a lot of times when they're talking about prayer, they actually use the term seek his face, seek his face. I'm going to just read a couple of them here because they're beautiful. Look at the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So the Israelites and the Hebrews, they equated praying with seeking God's face. Because when you look at the word seek, it means to seek with care, inquire, or to ask frequently. And when you go into First um, Thessalonians, the New Testament, it's really the same commandment. Rejoice always, pray continuously over and over again. And why? Why do you think the Israelites back then thought, okay, when I pray, I'm really seeking his face. I'm seeking his face. I want to see his face. Because it says here in Psalms, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all his fears. You look for the face of Jesus. You go to him all the time and pray continually. Look for him, look for him. He's going to free you from your fears. So focus on his face. The last one is Christian fellowship. This is one of my favorites because God has saved my life through Christian fellowship over and over again. When we are climbing mountains, Um, like I said, sometimes it feels like our lungs are burning, especially when we're getting up into the unknown. It can be painful. Well, when professional climbers are climbing, um, the most common danger for them is, like we said, lack of oxygen to the brain. And the reason it's so dangerous is because um, they lose focus, they get confused, they make rash decisions, they don't know where they are. And what's so dangerous about this is if they're alone, they can't get down. 
The only way for a climber to get down who has lack of oxygen to their brain is if another climber is with them, takes their oxygen mask off of them, puts it over their face, and physically carries them down. That's the only way. It's the same with us as we're climbing these mountains. Because how many times have we been too busy to be in the Word? Because remember, the Word is our oxygen. How many times have we been too busy, um, been maybe too angry at God, maybe too lazy, all of these things, and we find ourselves climbing something that he's called us to, and we're like that fish, and we're freaking out because we don't have air, and we can't breathe. And if there's nobody there for you, it's like you're going to die on that mountain. That's how it feels. So it's so important to have women like in this room around you and it's so important to pay attention to the women around you because maybe you're doing great on your climb. Maybe you're in the Word every day, but there might be someone sitting next to you at your table who's suffocating a little bit. And you need to take your oxygen mask off of your back and put it over their mouth and give them the Word of God. Give them some prayer. Give them some love. You need to help them down off that mountain or up that mountain. But we have a responsibility to each other, right? We are the church. I love that. Look at the next one here. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. It's interesting because even in the Bible, we see that Jesus accepted help from people, even though he was God. Now, did Jesus need help? I love this verse. Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will, not, he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus was fully man and fully God. He did not need our help. But what happens when he's carrying his cross up Golgotha? I don't know if anyone can remember this story. He's carrying his cross, and the Roman soldiers grab a guy from the side named Simon, and they force him up under the cross with Jesus, and he carries the cross with Jesus up the mountain. Now, we just saw that Jesus could call down angels to help him carry that cross, couldn't he? But he didn't. Why? I don't think it has anything to do with the inability of Jesus. I think it has everything to do with the vulnerability he was willing to show us. We're not better than him. <laughs> we, he, need, he accepted help. And you know what's so cool about that? Simon, they don't believe, was a believer at that time. But later on, there's evidence that he became a believer and that his family became a believer. And I, I think that one of the key moments in his life was coming up underneath someone else's burden because when he got under the burden of someone else, he looked over and he saw the face of Jesus. Sometimes that's where you're going to find Jesus the most is when you agree to get underneath someone else's burden and help them. That's where you're going to find his face a lot of the time. So I think that God allowed this beautiful picture of Jesus being helped. He didn't need it. I think God allowed that picture for us. And the beautiful thing is we're not forced to get underneath people's burdens like Simon was, but we are blessed to get underneath people's burdens and be with Jesus with them. Oh. I think we're there on that one. So I think what's great about ending on Christian fellowship, we're going to wrap up here, is that if we have one another with each other up on these mountains, and we start to forget that God is good and to forget that um, God is enough and fear creeps in, we can tell each other and remind each other that God is good and that God is enough. If we start to lose faith that God is good and that God is enough and fear creeps in, we can look at each other and say, look, 
You can ask for more faith. God is good. God is enough. You don't need to be afraid. Same thing if we're losing focus. It's like taking someone's chin and just directing them to Jesus' face. Because we're not really helping people climb up or down a mountain, are we? We're really trying to carry them to the love of God. That's what we're really here to do for one another. So I know a lot of this, everything practically that I talked about today, really revolved around just getting closer to God. I know it sounds simple, but that's really what's going to drive out fear for us. Because God is love. And it says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You want to overcome fear in your life, even though we're all going to have it, you want to drive it out, you got to run to God. Because God is love, and perfect love drives out fear. Um, that's the end of my message. But if do I have a little? Do I have like um, another minute, Don? Um, I just wanted to read. I wanted to give you some oxygen, and read this over you. I don't know if you guys want to close your eyes. I'm just reading some scripture over you. Um, I don't know if maybe you want to take a moment, and if there's something that you need to give up to the Lord, there's something that you just need to die to your will to, something that you need to stop focusing on, if there's something that God wants you to remember, um, I just want you to hear this, that he is with you. So if you want to close your eyes, I'm just going to read some scripture over you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. But now this is what the Lord says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Tell everyone who's discouraged, be strong and don't be afraid. God is coming to your rescue. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Thank you.